Well, going forward without the LA schools, just how well can the 10 remaining Pac-12 teams compete with the rest of the Power Five on the recruiting trail? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show. I greatly appreciate all of you out there who have done so already and recently got us to 2,000 subs on the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Speaking of more, when we want more and better recruiting insight, we turn as always to John Garcia Jr., our Locked On recruiting insider here at the network. John, National Signing Day has come and gone for the second time, of course, since there are two in this very weird and odd college football schedule that I hope one day changes, but when do I ever get what I want? And that clock behind you that you have written on the whiteboard with 2024, it it's almost time to start talking about that, isn't it? Because that's just how recruiting works. 100%. I mean, there's already programs that have got near double-digit commitments in that cycle. So yeah, some turn the page sooner than others. Many did so in December, as you mentioned, that first signing day is really the splash moment. Uh, and then they regroup and, and look ahead to, to the next cycle and the upcoming seniors as opposed to the, the current seniors. So, yeah, a lot of teams have turned the page. Others are turning the page now. So 2024, this spring, it's certainly uh, your time. You're on the clock. Uh, you're, you're not a junior anymore. So it will be fun as, as it often is. And there's some – go look at those rankings. There's some interesting teams pretty darn high up, uh, including Deion Sanders picking up two over the last week there at Colorado. So they're recruiting 23, 24, and the portal well simultaneously, which is not something that can be said for many programs out there. So a lot of eyeballs uh, on the Pac-12 because of him, of course. And it's an interesting time in the Pac-12 recruiting landscape because now it feels like it's the first official cycle where you're going to have the LA schools as a non-factor in the Pac-12 rankings. That is certainly in the geographical footprint, they can still go after kids from Arizona, from Los Angeles and, and California, uh, of course. But big picture for the conference here, John, and, and what I've been talking about extensively here on the show is if you're the Pac and you want to survive and you want to be viable going forward, still viewed as a legitimate power five, your your bar is not the Big Ten or SEC, because even with USC and UCLA, your bar was not the Big Ten or the SEC. You look at the ACC, you look at the Big 12, and if you are on par or above them, then I think you're in a healthy place from a talent standpoint. Looking at the 2023 cycle here, and this is taking out the LA schools because we're looking a little bit in the long term, which is what recruiting often is. How do you assess how much talent the conference has brought in with those 10 remaining schools compared to a Big 12 or an ACC or even a Big 10? Yeah, look, if you if you throw in the portal, let me say, hey, talent-wise, the Pac-12 is doing about as well as, as anybody. I mean, again, we, we keep talking about these quarterbacks in the, in the Pac-12 or, or I guess Pac-10 technically, um, and they're great. 
But in terms of a, a high school recruiting pipeline, look, it's still it's kind of trending up, I would say. I mean, look, Oregon's won the last five Pac-12 titles, so obviously they're not going anywhere. We see an upward trajectory from certain programs that's pretty darn tangible, right? Arizona State is trying to get out of that dusty, unsettling Herm Edwards era from a talent acquisition standpoint. Arizona was kind of already on the up and up. So I think those schools are, are going to hold their own way. Utah has, has always been in that, that high-level range, as has Washington. And now here comes Colorado, right? I think, as we mentioned, that's the program that is is very much trending up about as quickly uh, as, as, as any program has nationally in the last two or three months. And that's obviously saying a lot uh, of, of that hitting the ground reputation that Deion Sanders has brought with him uh, to Boulder. So I think from a talent acquisition standpoint, the Pac-12 is in pretty good shape, even when the LA schools depart, because the portal has been very good to that conference at the game's most important position. And then the schools that are trending up from a high school recruiting perspective uh, are, are really needed and necessary right it's it's not the obvious schools it's those that are really starting you know from the basement uh, especially in in colorado's uh, case so um i think everything is is looking solid for the pac-12 again is it is it going to be sec big 10 of course not but there is there is a a stronghold at the top which you see in every single conference and then that next tier is fluid which is a good thing you don't want it to be set you don't want it to feel uh, stale and stagnant. You want it to be fluid because it means pressure is being put on the top of that second tier. So if if it's Oregon, you know, maybe Oregon, Utah, Washington in that first tier, that second tier is is extremely fluid. And it should be because obviously Colorado is crashing that second tier and is going to probably leapfrog uh, somebody in the first tier before the end of the 2024 cycle. And they may already be there in 24 um they, they almost finished there in 23 so it, it's really fascinating to see them crash the party and what that does it ups the onus for everybody just as much as and just look at what what dion did at jackson state as much as he increased the profile at jsu the rest of that conference started to see a bit of an uptick right because now folks who weren't necessarily aligned with how he recruits can now combat that and say, hey, let's go beat them. Let's go play against them. So I think that will elevate the Pac-12 as a conference from a recruiting standpoint. And again, on the field, Utah has been so dominant. Oregon has been right there. Uh, so I think all of that will remain stable. And Washington's always been that program that could uh, kind of rise out of nowhere, just like we saw last year. So I think that at the top and then the fluidity thereafter, while the Arizona schools figure things out in a hurry, are all very good signs for talent uh, in the Pac-12, no matter if you look at it from the portal or from the prep ranks. Yeah, Dion's been there for, I don't know, a month and a half or, or so, like like full-time on campus, month and a half. And Washington just had a, a surprise 11-win season. Colorado's above them. Utah, back-to-back Pac-12 championships, best recruiting class in program history. Colorado's ahead of them. And so I, I think when you bring up, you know, the the tiers of, of programs and this school is here and this school is here and the second tier is fluid, I, I feel like it's almost a no-brainer that, that Colorado will jump into that first tier if they aren't there already. I mean, they're top three in, in 2023 and he's barely been there. So you think about what he could do with, with, with a full cycle and, 
you know, they're top 25 in, in the country right now. And I, I feel like they could get into the top 15 or, or the top 10. I, I do want to ask you about the landscape in general. I can tell you're, you're itching to, to bring that up as well, but I want to tell you all about FanDuel first because we're excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America and it's FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can get started now and bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So join FanDuel today. At fanduel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. I also want to shout out LinkedIn Jobs for being the official recruiting sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. So, John, I, I feel like when you're talking about the the top tier of teams for recruiting going forward in in the Pac-12 with the 10 remaining teams, and look, whoever they add in expansion, they're not going to be catapulting themselves into the top tier anyway. So I, I feel like going forward with the 10 teams you know are in the conference going into 2024, Oregon's obviously up there. I think you have to put Utah up there that they seem to be, at least for this cycle, placing a greater emphasis on finding that high level talent, try to get themselves to that next level that is winning a Rose Bowl and or the college football playoff. And I think you'd put Colorado there. And I think Washington's capable of being a tier one recruiting program. But I'm with you that 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 second tier is pretty fluid. How do you see it kind of kind of shaping out? Is that is that kind of the right way to be looking at it in terms of who the best recruiters going forward in the league will be? Yeah. And obviously look, the on field is is going to play a factor here. And I think that's where Colorado is going to be so fascinating, right? Every year I'm asked, Hey, who was the best recruiting program that didn't really show it on the field? And the answers are, are, are kind of similar each year, right? The teams that outperform in the off season um, this year was, you know, Miami, a couple other schools, but Colorado is going to be the de facto answer there until we we learn otherwise of their on-field ceiling. And again, starting from one and one and 11 season is, is a nothing but up mentality. But again, the Pac-12 is going to be really good in 23. So I think the on-field will start to play a factor, but you won't deny the talent acquisition there at Colorado in the immediate future. So I think the combination of recruiting upside and a better on-field product than, than folks realize, I'm looking at Arizona State. I think they can crash the Tier 2 party like we've seen Colorado crash the Tier 1 party uh, within the Pac-12 ranks. I, I think I was asked on another podcast, and I won't say the name because, you know, shout out Locked On. We love it. I was asked how many bowl games Arizona State had been um, had, had qualified for in the last, I think it was 10 or 12 years. And I assumed it was about a 50-50 deal just because the current perception is so negative. But the answer was like 9 of 10. It was really stronger than I thought. So pairing that with what Kenny Dillingham has done, bringing in the most players, even more than Dion, to his program in the Pac-12 and the country, as far as we know, high school plus portal, I think it's 45 and counting, I think that's where you could start to see a very quick perception flip Dion's doing it from a talent perspective and a future perspective I think Dillingham can do it 
with the on-field product lumped into that trajectory. Uh, so I think that's where the upside really lies. Again, when you talk about recruiting the Pac-12, obviously the LA schools always got the conventional benefit of the doubt. So excluding them, does Arizona State not have the best optical sell you know, in the Pac-12 now? I mean, I think you could... I really think so. Dillingham yeah. is leaning on that publicly, privately, everywhere in between. And again, we've talked about this as well. The talent in that part of the country has risen dramatically in the last five to 10 years, and that trend's not going away. So all of those factors are pointing that arrow very much up for ASU, and I think he's the right guy as, as a native and grad to do it on top of it. Young, dynamic, offensive recruiter. These are the types of coaches we see flip programs pretty quickly. So I think the state uh, of fluidity in the Pac-12 combined with the timing here is going to make Arizona State kind of the trendy crash the party pick, um, not only on recruiting, but again, I think in the on the field going forward, I think they're going to make more noise than, than we're talking about at this time. So I got my eyes on them just as much as Colorado. And I think they're a program that has a number of the ingredients to recruit consistently at the tier two level. Now, tier one, in terms of the, the remaining pack teams, that's pretty difficult because Oregon is so established and Washington is established and their coaching staff appears to really, really know what they're doing. And Kyle Whittingham has been there for almost two decades in Salt Lake City and the prime effect. I don't know if ASU can overcome that, but if you're talking about which program is, is poised to be at or near the top of tier two going forward. I'm completely with you that it's Arizona State. And Dillingham has shown a propensity to recruit high-level quarterbacks to the West Coast, to the Pac-12. He was Dante Moore's tie to Oregon, who ended up going to UCLA, of course, after and mostly because Dillingham left to go be the head coach at ASU, where he's then able to bring in Jaden Rashada, a caliber of quarterback that – Arizona State just hasn't had all that often. They did have Jaden Daniels, uh, of course, but that whole mess with Herm Edwards. And and the other upside with Dillingham at ASU, at least from what we've seen, John, is that their recruiting had cratered. I mean, in the 100s with, with Herm Edwards there, and Dillingham has brought it back up to at least a semi-respectable level really, really quickly. They finished seventh in... The, the talent acquisition uh, department in the Pac-12 this year, but they finished 36th in the country because they bring in a lot of transfers and a top 50 high school recruit, recruit, recruiting class too. So I feel like their upside is, is, very, is, is very, very real. And I think the early indicators are not good. They seem to be great for Dillingham. 100%. Um, you know, the biggest, I feel like the biggest detractor with ASU under the previous regime was they couldn't get kids on campus. You know, you, you have to programs like that. You've got to get the kids there first. And then that cell, as we said, maybe the best in the conference going forward. Now that cell is, is realized not by not only the recruit, but their mentors, the family, everybody involved in these decisions. And again, with a young guy who's known as a recruiter like Dillingham at a minimum, folks are going to be visiting ASU at a much higher clip. And I think that is only going to improve uh, the ceiling for a lot of these, these uh, recruiting classes here going forward. Again, that's independent almost of the on-field product. So selling that turnaround, I think, will be uh, pretty consistent from the Dillingham camp. And again, look at some of these coaches that he's brought on. 
uh, folks with ties to very important metro areas of the country and closer to home, some of the best uh, in the state of Arizona, uh, like Jason Mons uh, from Saguaro. So I think that combination and understanding the type of recruiters that modern recruits want to hear from, I think ASU is going to be one of those banner examples going forward. So, yeah, I've, I've got high hopes for the Sun Devils. And I think, from again, from a talent acquisition standpoint, they're going to be in really good shape. And as you mentioned, when you're starting at the quarterback position and it's nothing but blue chips uh, and high-level blue chips at that, it's a heck of a starting point. And I expect ASU to continue to push in that direction. After they fell into the 100s in the recruiting ranks a year ago, 26 transfers this year, which also tells you, and that's such a huge part of acquiring talent now for basically any program that wants to compete at a high level or at least win a lot of games, that the name Kenny Dillingham is starting to gain a lot of traction on on the recruiting trail and that they're you know really moving along very well on, on that front. Uh, we're going to get to... Um, so, something that you could argue one way or the other for, for each of these. John and I are each going to give one Pac-12 school that overperformed in this 2023 recruiting cycle the most. Doesn't mean others didn't, but the most. And one that underperformed the most. So, John, I'll let you go first. Which Pac-12 team overperformed the most compared to expectations for the 2023 cycle? I mean, you got to go Dion, right? You got to go Colorado here. I, I actually was thinking of going Oregon, Oregon in this argument. Um, five Pac-12 titles in a row is is absurd to maintain. And with the introduction of Lincoln Riley at USC, my first thought was, will Oregon maintain that? Um, and and there was a lot of back and forth in that department and a lot of head-to-head matchups that Oregon won over USC. Mateo Uyangalale, Roderick Pleasant just – on signing day immediately come to mind, but I'll go Colorado. I mean, I'll, I'll go with the low hanging fruit because again, it's one thing to have expected Dion to bring in great transfers, right? I think that was kind of unanimously accepted. Hey, look, uh, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, a lot of these JSU players were going to come along with Dion and they've already gotten proven collegiate resumes. Fine. That was sort of the baseline. And you knew his name would attract other portal prospects that saw the immediate turnaround at JSU, right? Quicker, more more finite recruiting timelines for those kids. But from the high school ranks, there was really minimal precedent for Dion to hit the ground running the way he did to end the 23 cycle. I think we all expected in 24, full season, uh, off-season official visits, all that stuff. Yes, it, it will be popping from a recruiting ranking standpoint with Colorado. But for him to have flipped the number one corner in the country in Cormani McLean, bringing in a Dylan Edwards, one of the fastest recruits in the country, flipping him from Notre Dame, uh, you even flipped the Kansas quarterback recruit when that path to playing time is not quite there. And let's not sleep on Kansas's recruiting prowess uh, at that position over the last few cycles under Lance Leopold. All of those things I thought were huge individual wins, but collectively from the high school ranks with minimal time, minimal visit weekends, for Dion to have done that. And some of these guys, like Adam Hopkins, the Auburn commit who flipped, they committed and signed sight unseen. I mean, that is so hard to do for an established prospect like that. Yet Dion did it at the prep level. So I think Colorado obviously is my overachiever because I expected it in the portal, but not so quickly from the high school perspective. But of course, Dion did both. 
There's a number of different ways you could go with this. And, and I, I totally hear you on Colorado, but because there was, I think, a baseline expectation that Prime was going to attract more talent than Colorado had seen in quite some time. To me, John, I'm going back to Arizona State here. They they were, I'm pretty sure, last in Pac-12 recruiting in 2022, which is just inexcusable. I, I, like, There's just no acceptable reason. That's why a change was made. But what Kenny Dillingham has done ha- has been remarkable. They're, they've added 26 transfers. It's the number 10 transfer portal class in the country and a top 50. Top 50, you rose 50 spots or so in the high school recruiting ranks in one offseason. To me, that was the greatest overachievement in the conference from a recruiting standpoint because Kenny Dillingham was somewhat of an unknown. And I think you had a more known commodity, though not entirely perhaps, with Deion Sanders at Colorado. But Kenny Dillingham was a little bit more of a question mark. He's the youngest Power 5 head coach in the country. He's only been a play caller for one year. He's only been an OC for a few years. He's never been a head coach before. I think you had a lot more question marks in the early returns, especially, I mean, landing Rashada was as surprising as, I think, Colorado landing Cormani McLean. That was not that was not supposed to happen. Those guys were supposed to be headed to the state of Florida and instead they're coming to the Pac-12, which, yeah, they were supposed to be going there and instead they're coming to the Pac, which I think speaks to the conference's commitment to football starting to become a little bit more legitimate on the coaching front to where you can get that sort of talent. But I'm going to lean Arizona State here as the biggest overachiever this cycle. Yeah, that's I I feel better about it after hearing you talk about it, to be honest. But yeah, (laughs) both both of them. I mean, look. We've you've had me on the show for quite some time. We have not talked a lot before these two. We have not talked a lot of of Colorado and ASU. So it's it's quite fitting that those two come up. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you there. Let's round out the show. Maybe we should have flipped the order here to end on a high note. But the two (laughs) underachievers that we both have, who do you look at in this recruiting cycle, John, and say is the biggest underachiever and this is this is factoring in the transfer portal when i say recruiting i'm not just looking at prep ranks i don't think that you can solely examine that and and say it's an accurate measure or totally reflective of of how how a team has done because it's just a big part of it now it is an element of recruiting essentially so who's your biggest underachiever for this cycle yeah i mean i was gonna go oregon state just relative to the on-field rise that that we saw you just expected it to be middle of the pack or maybe even the top uh, of that second tier, but it's not quite there. But look, I also understand it, right? That that ceiling isn't as high. It just kind of is what it is. And I think the talent at the top is really good in that class. We, we've talked about Aiden Childs quite a bit, and, and, and he's a dude. Everybody could see it and has seen it at this point. Um, but I, I was surprised with the volume, just not uh, a lot of prospects uh, headed that way. Only Cal had a smaller high school recruiting class in the Pac-12, excluding those L.A. schools. So I thought that was a part of the reason why, you know, the the numbers, the formula, the algorithm didn't quite work out uh, for Oregon State. Um, But when you throw in the transfers, I think Stanford could probably occupy some of that. Uh, Obviously, it's hard to transfer to Stanford. That's that's pretty apparent uh, at this point. Um, But still, I thought with a new – coaching staff that was 
going to push more modern offensively uh, than we saw with David Shaw. I expected a little bit of a bump from the Cardinal at the end of 23. We didn't quite see it. So I think we'll wait to reserve judgment overall on, on Coach Taylor there uh, in 24 when he's got his first full cycle and the full allotment of visits um, and all the academic stresses that that come with that gig. But I was I was a little disappointed just from a sheer change in philosophy perspective because I thought that would create a little bit of a bump there for, for Stanford. But I'll go Oregon State. I hear you on the beeves. I'm going with Arizona here, John. Mm. Mm. They had been a team on the rise on the recruiting front under Jed Fish. And by the way, I, I still like where their program's at. They've got a lot of good pieces in place to make a bowl game in, in 2023. But off of a one-win season, they pull in a top 30 portal class and a top 25 prep class for a top 25 composite overall. And then they go from one win to five wins. And they just give you that upward trajectory and they get surpassed by Arizona state in, in the recruiting front. And they end up eighth in the pac 12 for their 2023 talent hall. I I didn't expect them necessarily to repeat as, as a top 25 talent acquisition program for 2023, but they fell to just barely inside of the top 50. And that is a much bigger drop than I was expecting. And it was just surprising because Arizona went from one win to five wins. So you feel like that should have been momentum. You could have been able to capitalize on, on the recruiting front. So that's why I go with the wildcats. And also I look at Arizona versus Oregon state. And I, I I totally hear you on the bees. Like I thought it might be a little bit better, at at least from a volume standpoint, if not, you you know, Oregon state's not going to bring in a, a high volume of blue chip prospects. So the two blue chippers they do have in this class, Aiden Childs, Kelsey Howard, I I think are, are both really, really nice gets for Jonathan Smith and company, but who's got the higher recruiting ceiling, Arizona or Oregon state. I think it's the wildcats. So to me, that was, that was the bigger underperformance in my view. Again, you're, you're selling me here. Although I do like the late grab of Devin Hyatt. That was one of my favorite late uh risers in the in the cycle obviously his older brother Jalen just won the Bolitnikov and maybe he'll be a first rounder so I like the upside play there and you expect Arizona to do well at the skill position so he could further that but that's a great point you know the the end of 22 grabbing that Servite trio Tetiro McMillan uh and those guys uh you know inflated what we thought of, of Arizona and you expected that to potentially continue, but a drop off of that measure was certainly notable. And and now as, as you, you put out, Hey, on the other side of the state, you've got the, maybe the highest riser in, in the conference outside of Colorado and ASU. So that dynamic will be fascinating to measure here going forward. Cause head to head, you would think Arizona's in a better shape going forward, especially on the field, but it might not be the case. And we're kind of already seeing that. And, and I'm most curious to see what Arizona does in 2023 because it's not a program where they expect to, you know, be a 9-10 win team this year just because they went from one to five. They're now going to try to go from five to seven. I, I'm really intrigued, really intrigued to see if they can go to Starkville and beat Mississippi State because that is a Mississippi State team that unfortunately does not have Mike Leach anymore. And their head coach is their former defensive coordinator. But Mike Leach on every team he's been on, he was the secret sauce 
He he was he was the reason Washington State was a perennial seven to nine, and then uh, w- with one double digit win win season while he was there because his play calling and look, you're still running the same the same scheme most likely. I don't know what staff turnover they've had, but he was always the play caller and he was always very very good in in that realm. And I just wonder if Arizona could go and 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 get that win. I'll be watching. I'm sure John will as well. Our locked on recruiting insider here at the network, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. As always, hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.